And we are back for one more episode, the season finale or the finale for good, episode 40. We made it to 40, Bill. You know, looking back, it's funny. When when we were close to 10, you'd say, boy, I can't believe we got to 10. Can't believe we got to 20. Can't believe we got to 30. I think 40 is the perfect number to wrap up this season of Buckets and Dan. Come back for the draft. Come back strong for some scattered, maybe, episodes hey, in the summer. Let's not give out false promises. As of right now, it's the finale and 40 episodes in. I wouldn't be here without you, but it's still funny. We're still monkeying around with th- with this equipment, still trying to get these voice levels right. You know, Dan could cut me off at any time saying, we got to restart, I got the voice levels all mixed up. But Dan, let's talk about number 40s. We've been in that tradition. You got a couple, but I got one that you don't know about. I mean, big, sexy Bartolo Colon. He got uh, a trio of really average to below average Sabres goalies in Patrick Laleem, Robin Leonard, Carter Hutton, and of course, maybe the greatest 40 of all time, Mike Allstott. And you're forgetting a former Bill, Rob Riddick, brother of Lewis Riddick throughout the 1980s. So, Dan, this is a really, really ex- How was he as a player? Good, solid. You know, you look him up on Twitter, people got good things to say about him. Okay. So, you know, looking at, we'll, we'll take a brief look at the past, but it's been, you know, really one heck of a journey. Um, and we're going out with a bang. And let, let's talk about this because... You know, flashback seven years ago in May of 2014, we were putting together the finishing touches on our, you know, three-year run at Cortland, and we are figuring out a guest list for who's going to come on the show, and Bruce DeHaven, rest in peace, we had him on. We had on a couple other great We don't people. talk about that enough. That's a, that's a sweet guy. Especially in college without yeah. the social media. I don't know how we did that. Yeah. Um, but we had on Danny Gare, which was arguably our biggest guest outside of Lindy Ruff while we were at Cortland. And, and why not bring it back? Danny Gare is our Buffalo sports blast from the past to close things out. I mean, what, there's six jerseys retired in the history of the Buffalo Sabres? And – one of those guys has felt the need or been okay with talking to us two morons twice now. It's it's amazing the Buffalo sports community. It's just another guy that really gives back. And uh, we're, again, very excited to have him. It's hopefully the season finale, but we will see. You know, to all our loyal listeners, we'll get to you at the end. But we really appreciate the support you've given us thus far. For sure. And, and why, Dan? And people have asked, please don't do it. We've gotten, you know – Dozens of text messages over the past week since we announced our, our finale, our season finale, and, and people are asking why. Well, New York State just said basketball could start. We both coach it. starts November 1st. That goes right into really fall two, which is yep. another season. So You know what Amari Stoudemire said about the situation? Bulldogs are back. Bulldogs are back, and and the the Raiders. Oh yeah, the Raiders aren't <laughs> back. I guess we're gonna give that a shout out there in Eden. It's gonna be a lot of fun, and uh, so we got you know a couple sports to coach, and then we'll kind of re- reassess where we're at. But so it's a bittersweet feeling. We're excited to kind of turn the page. This has been kind of a dream scenario where we've had really forty weeks of no coaching, <laughs> and really not a lot of obligations to be able to do that and to do anything really. So there's a lot of people to thank. We'll do that at the end. But uh, Dan, what else we got? Big day for you tomorrow. Yeah, I got the COVID test. My first COVID test today came back negative and got a vaccine tomorrow. So we're going to start that process as well. Just your classic Billy buckets way you go through life. Stay positive. Test negative. Absolutely. And Dan, speaking of positive and negative, you know. What's what? What's Dan Hannon? What's Coach Hannon gonna look like 
in this shortened, modified oh, basketball you know season. You know, it's funny you should say that. I was going to go back to all these episodes where you felt the need to put me on blast. I was going to call Jerry Sullivan. I know you mentioned it to him. Damone Brown. Damone Brown, Mo Kearney. And I was going to say, you know what? You're going to see a new Dan Ann on the sideline. It has to do with a couple reasons. Number one, it has to do with Ted Lasso, the show, and what, what positive influence can do to a team, especially when it's written as a sitcom. And it has to do with the fact that it's a weird season, you know, I, I got to What I've done so far has gotten me to ten and ten both years, and d- despite what the rest of my life and has been to this point, just pretty average. I would like to um, have a little higher standard than that. So I'm gonna mix it up this year, be Mr. Positive. You'll hear that Goldfish line day one to my starting point guard, and yeah. and we're just gonna roll with it. We're gonna. It's 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 all about. Um, you know, having fun, it, it's about getting these kids a, a, a positive, growing experience, and we're going to see how long it lasts. We're going to see how long it lasts, and I'm going to take the under on whatever over-under <laughs> Vegas puts on it, and here's why. Because when game one and game two and game three come around, it's already been announced, there will not be fans in the stands, meaning there will not be parents in the stands. So there won't be that, ooh, probably shouldn't say that. or ooh, Well, the pro- counterpoint to that is, I mean, it's everything you say is going to be very twisted. Yeah. Yes, it's going to be very, uh, um, you know, what's the opposite of visible? Audible. It's going to be very Invisible. audible. Okay, um, we had some. You know, we're going to actually we'll save that. Let's talk about some rather breaking news to buckets and Dan. You brought it up as you came down here. Yeah, Jim Rutherford, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins resigns due to personal reasons, and and we'll have our team, you know, try to dig into that so we can get more information before we're done recording. But, you know, we'll, and I don't know if this is a surprise to you or what, but the name that was the, the first name that was tossed around by Pierre Lebrun is the assistant general manager of the Seattle Kraken who was in Buffalo Tuesday night scouting Sabre and Ranger players, and that's Jason Botterill. The best thing that could happen for the Sabres franchise is that mushy bag of milk taking over a storied franchise like the Pittsburgh Penguins. I have zero faith in him as a GM. Maybe guys like Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, and Chris Letang make a difference to a GM, but they're at the end of the road within the next you know five years, I'd say, anyway. So putting him in charge of of rebuilding a team, I would love that as a Sabres fan. Speaking of the Sabres, let's talk about them briefly because we don't really hit on them in our Q&A. You know, the Buffalo Bills magic ran out on Sunday, and we'll certainly spend a lot of time talking about the Bills in the offseason. But the Sabres are back to 500 probably, you know, for the first time for a long time. And, you know, they, they had a Awful, awful first game. I've made it a point to watch them closely. And you have to be somewhat optimistic about what you're seeing right now with a big win Tuesday night over the Rangers. Yeah, from what I've read on Twitter and, and seen for myself, they're starting to buy in. I think it said that Allmark has faced the lowest percentage of quality shots in the NHL this far, which, again, speaks to the goaltending issue the Sabres have. But seem to be buying into the system, which is all you can ask for for a team that's trying to change the culture. You have some of the stuff we talked about before the year starting to come to fruition early on in this season. Dylan Cousins looking like a top six forward. Two beautiful goals. You have bottom six guys stepping up. I saw, you know, as and again, I'm not trying to spin this all to negative, but you look at a guy like Tobias Reeder, and it, and some, uh, you know, 
the a performance like that really emphasizes how horrible the Zemgis Gergensen contract yep. is. That you felt the need to pay Gergensen that much money when you have a guy that's making seven hundred thousand that's doing exactly what you'd want Gergensen to do. Yep. But bottom line, Dan, is you can you know we turn off the switch at least for a few weeks with the Buffalo Bills and we have something to watch. And it's nice to be able to turn it on during the week as, yeah, as this pandemic exactly. hopefully settles down. You know, the, let, let's talk politics, Dan. No, no. <laughs> but, you know, the orange zone and yellow zone are lifted, so apparently people can go around and do what they want now and, you know, go crowd bars and watch the Sabres play. So more power to them, I guess. Yeah, and just to go back to the Sabres a little bit, um, what's promising is – they're doing this without their elite franchise potential defenseman struggling out of the gate and you know not having the puck on his stick a lot so he's starting to he's starting to fight through some things but imagine if he gets rolling imagine if Eichel starts scoring and I, I hate the people that were criticizing Jack Eichel for not scoring it's not like he's not producing points um, I, I do think Taylor Hall not scoring since the first game is a little concerning but we're gonna be okay again it's taking time to gel no yeah, preseason. I mean, here you hear Brandon Bean's presser today. He talks about it at length about no preseason. That's why blah blah blah, making excuses for the defense and particularly the defensive line. But uh, you look at the first two set of games. You had Philadelphia and you had Washington, and I got the Rangers one more game Thursday night. And then you go back to back against New Jersey. So if you could, you know, possibly get over five hundred there, all we want, Dan, is a race. That's it. We want to race. Just be competitive. We want to race, and we want to make things interesting towards yep. the end, and hopefully sneak into the playoffs. So that's where we're at there. And that's, I have a, I have yeah, a question for you. We're at episode forty right now. Let's say we continued, in theory, week to week. What episode would we be starting the show saying they finally moved Jeff Skinner up to the top six? I think it happens in about a week. So episode 41, I think I think finally it's going to happen. The Tom Seaver special. The Tom Seaver special, you know, RIP for for his, you know, for as much of the doghouse as he must be in. The guy's kept his mouth shut and he's played super hard. So Did I, you see the play he almost made? He's he's been playing to the side of the net. It is funny Rob Ray must be being paid by Ralph Kruger to just bash him throughout the broadcast, but Skinner had a play he, they fed him. I might have been in the last, the dying seconds of a power play. Skinner is facing his goal, so he's he's facing the same way as the goalie, right to the left of the net. Got a pass, and within a half second, was able to spin around and like, I, I don't know if it's between his legs or whatever. Try to roof one that just missed, and you could tell he's getting the. This is what's concerning is he's getting frustrated at the lack of goal production, and that's only going to compound matters when he's going to be forcing things. Which is another reason I think it's just ridiculous that. He's playing those bottom six. It's only making him put, um, not push harder in a positive way, but push negative and 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 really feel the the pressure on him. And that's Coach Hannon talking, and that's the new Leaf Coach Hannon oh, yeah. positive mindset. <laughs> you know, so so you know, big things to come for hopefully Jeff Skinner, and for Coach Hannon, and for 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 all the Western New York coaches across. New York, all the New York State coaches. Yeah, as a oh yeah, of it's good to be back. It's gonna be good for the kids to be back. Let's let's wrap it up here. Let's we got a a bear of a Q and A here. So let's, let's our our biggest and best. We saved it for last the finale. It's like if you picture our Q and A like a set of fireworks after a Bison's game. This is the finale. Question: What kind of bear is best? It's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Why are you the way that you are? What'd you do? 
Hey, what do you guys like better, nurse or cheerleader? We have a wide array of topics to get to in our final Q&A of this season. We're going to start with our good friend Tony from Baldwinsville, who is asking both of us this question. Which decision to kick a field goal was worse, Matt LaFleur's for Green Bay or Sean McDermott's two at the start of the game at the end of half for the Bills? Bill, do you want to start? I don't. I just want to say I don't really care about LaFleur's call right now. I want to know. I want to ask you which one was worse in your eyes, and then I'll talk a little bit about McDermott's decisions. My God. Sorry for the attitude, Tony, (laughs) on behalf of Bill, but – uh, yeah, I, I think that there's no excuse for Lafleur's. That is, I'm not even kidding when I say this. That's one of the dumbest coaching decisions I've ever seen in my life. You're down eight points. You have the MVP on your team, who probably no one's really talking about. Should have ran it in for a touchdown the play before. But worst case scenario, you have Tom Brady pinned in his own eight yard line. You still have to stop him and uh, score a touchdown, just like you would by kicking the field goal. And then, of course, just like what always happens, especially this playoff, you give the ball back. You give the ball back to Tom Brady. And, of course, he just runs the clock out. Aggressive play calling by Bruce Arians. I liked that. Um, but Lafleur looked like a chump there. When it comes to McDermott, I think that the getting points at the start of the, at the, start of the game, is, you can argue with that, sure. But here's what I'm going to say, Bill. If Josh Allen doesn't throw that third down pass right into a Kansas City Chiefs chest, and Beasley does a great job breaking that up, McDermott, I think, goes for that. Let's say that it's a slant and maybe the receiver drops it or it's just a little off. But he coached scared, so as soon as he saw that Josh Allen threw it right for a turnover, which should have been a turnover, he got even more scared, decided to kick the field goal. We'll never and we'll know. get into that more. We'll never know about McDermott in that situation unless we corner him into a dive bar, um, which we'll get to later. What dive were your bars. thoughts on the end of the half situation? Well, let's go to Lafleur real quick okay. because I watched the game as well. I didn't care and- about it. Yeah, let's just, you know, Tony, sorry. Sorry I got. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm Mr. Conservative, I guess, when it comes to a lot of these no. these situations. And guess what I was saying? And you know what? Hi- hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, everyone on Twitter wants to be the cool guy. Go for it, go for it, go for it. I'm sure the situation's a lot differently when you have a headset on in a game to coach. But I was saying, yeah, kick the field goal and then go win. Get a stop, trust your defense, and then go win and not – play for overtime my counter argument to that is and I'm a firm believer this should be the simple analytics rule okay if you kick a if you're down a touchdown and kick a field goal and you're still down by more than a field goal there's no reason to kick the field goal okay so getting to McDermott's points or McDermott's decisions I can 100% and I did that 100% I would do the same thing over again on the first one I you know you're not you're not giving the ball to Mahomes if you don't make a fourth and three. They were already aggressive on a fourth down call at the beginning of that drive and got it easily and got it easily. I'm not which is I'm trusting my big leg kicker to get us up, put points on the board. It's the first drive of the game. How many points are you holding Kansas City to? It's the first I'm, drive if you're of the McDermott, game. I'm trying to get points. If you're McDermott, how many points are you holding Kansas City to? I think you were hoping to hold them to high twenties. Okay. So, and I'm thinking you, you're thinking you can outscore him. The other two, I can understand the argument, and yeah, I, I, I side with that side. I think you have to, in those final two fourth down decisions, you have to get aggressive. But I'm not going to argue against the first one. I think it was the right decision, and they made the field goal. All right. I got one, Dan, and this is Gary. 
And Gary's from Cheektawaga, and Gary's... Cheek to Vegas. Cheek to Vegas, and Gary's been a friend of the show for a long time. And he asks, Buckets and Dan, between Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, who do you give more credit to for building this franchise, and which of the two would you rather keep for the next five years if you had to go with only one of them? And I think this answer is easy. Brandon Bean has constructed the team, he's constructed this roster, and most importantly, he's got the right quarterback. So he's done his job. Of course, there's a lot of fine-tuning to be done, and his job's far from over. But now, so I'm going to give more credit to Bean for simply drafting the right guys because it seems to be a very difficult science. But the guy I'm going with for the next five years, because you already have the tools, is Sean McDermott. I don't necessarily disagree with that argument. I actually really like the way you worded it. I would say that the reason I want being around instead is that the culture is in place. I think he could – this sounds crazy, especially since he just got passed over or passed up, but if McDermott – like the culture's built. If McDermott leaves and Brian Dable becomes your head coach and Leslie Frazier becomes your defensive coordinator – He already is the defensive coordinator. All right, so stays the only defensive voice in the room – your team is going to be fine because of the culture and players you have already. And I would trust Dable to, you know, be able to continue with the offense and trust, I guess, that he'd learn game management. I've never seen him try game management, whatever. But what I need is a, a GM savvy enough to manipulate the cap to keep his core together while also building around him. That's what I trust Brandon Bean to do. You see too many people make too many stupid decisions with quarterbacks. I think that's a huge thing that Bean is going to be tasked with next. So I think the guy that actually built the roster, now that the culture's in place, needs to stick around the next five years. I, I would go with Bean. But that's a good question. Thanks, Gary. Gary, we will just simply – Buckets and Dan will simply agree to disagree. And we'll say that glad we don't have to pick – and that, you know, <laughs> that's true as well. And that rarely happens on Buckets and Dan. We usually, you know, we, we're in various group chats with guys like Dan Musk, who deserves a big shout-out for, for riding with us for probably all 40 episodes. And, <laughs> we, and usually it's Dan against Buckets and Dan because Dan disagrees, and, and I usually ride Dan's coattails or vice versa. Um, usually agree with each other all the time on the show as well. But let's get to Jim from North Buffalo. And Jim... Uh, Jim Doyle, I'm going to say his last name. Jim, <laughs> thank you. You've been, you know, this is the finale. We've got to give you a big shout-out, and we appreciate your fandom. With the potential return of stars. And friendship, Jim. And friendship, more importantly. <laughs> with the potential return of Star Latulale. See, I'm getting my pronunciations right, too, just at the wrong time on the last show. Pronunciations. Can we expect a breakout year? We're talking five-plus sacks from Ed Oliver next year. Or is he flat out undersized? And Dan, Dan's bringing the information on this. I'm going to say this just without a bunch of information in my back pocket. Brandon Bean in his press conference today talked at length about how the defensive line is undersized, and they were probably smaller than they wanted to be there. You got guys like Justin Zimmer, who's a good player in his own right, and probably statistics line up comparably well with Ed Oliver, who – I'll be honest with Dan, you know, I am concerned with. So, Dan, what do you think? Well, there's a couple things that I want to bring up here. Number one, sacks are such an arbitrary number. I don't think a defensive tackle especially should be used. Like, I understand the, the 
pass rush is so important. I understand that he was drafted with the seventh overall pick to – was it seventh? I believe it was nine. Nine? All right, well, in the top ten to bring the heat, um, and they decided that they didn't want to go for a pass rusher. They wanted the interior pressure that's becoming more prevalent in today's football. But when it comes – and it's also funny, like who would have thought a year ago today that Star Latulia would be thought of this highly – from where he was, you know, people hated him. He didn't have any stats. Blah, blah, blah. Well, wow, did we find out the value. We love him. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I do think that he's going to make a huge impact. And my third point before I get into really diving the numbers is that the Bills have a solid track record, and I know this has been mentioned on various podcasts regarding the Buffalo Bills, but have a solid track record on players taking off in year three. Matt Milano took off in year three. Josh Allen, obviously, this year took off in year three. Deion Dawkins took a huge step in year three, then became the franchise left tackle. So it is a monster year. It's it's put-up-or-shut-up time, Fred Oliver, especially if they get star or a comparable player to star to fill that one tech next to him. Here's what I'm going to say. 68 players this year registered five or more sacks. 11 of them were defensive tackles. Obviously, the other ones were outside linebackers, defensive ends, linebackers, whatnot. I don't think it's fair to compare his production-wise to a guy like Aaron Donald. He is going to go down as one of the greatest football players of all time. Yep. He had 15 and a half sacks this year. He's made the Pro Bowl all seven years of his career. He's been all pro six of those career. He literally averages 12 a year, 12 sacks a year. It's unbelievable. So we do need Oliver to find himself in year three. Let's look at the – out of those 11, let's start by looking at the first-round picks at defensive tackle, their first three years of production – that finished in the top – excuse me, that had at least five sacks this year from the defensive tackle position. Leonard Williams, drafted in th- – go ahead. Nope, go ahead. Say his stats. Leonard Williams, drafted in 2015 by the Jets, sixth overall out of USC. He had three sacks his rookie year, kind of broke out with seven in the second year, then just two, then fell out of favor with the Jets. They trade him. He had 11 and a half this year for the Giants. You, I d- you've done a lot of good research on this point. I don't want to interrupt you, but just a quick question for you. The Leonard Williams numbers, Leonard Williams numbers are eye popping. That looks like a good trade for Dave Gettleman, then, right? It is, but he's a free agent this year, so he'll, <laughs> that's a guy that'll command a lot of money. Yeah, I do agree. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's real crazy? Not to get off topic, if you look at that Odell trade, that ended up being a great trade for the Giants as well. Gettleman stays. No, yeah. Um, then there's DeForest Buckner. Okay. Drafted seventh overall by San Francisco out of Oregon. Six sacks his rookie year, just three his second year. His third year broke out with 12. Obviously traded, it's ironic, he also was traded two years later to Indianapolis. He was an all-pro this year with nine and a half sacks. Quinnen Williams would be the other one. He was drafted third overall at Oliver's year. He broke out this year with seven after having just two his, his last year. You look at Fletcher Cox, obviously more of a veteran out of the group that we're describing right now. 2012, 12th overall pick out of Mississippi State. Had five and a half, three. Then four his third year, broke out with nine and a half his fourth year. Had ten and a half a couple years later. Um, six and a half this past year in his ninth year in the league. One of the best defensive He's tackles really good. Yep, in the league. Now let's look outside the first round. Jerron Reed, Seattle. 2016 second round pick, 49th overall. Out of Alabama. Again, a third-year breakout player. One and a half sacks his first year. One and a half his second. Ten and a half sacks from the defensive tackle position his third year. It's now his fifth year um, for Seattle, and he had six and a half this last year. Bilal Nichols and Tim Settle, two fifth-round picks, both reached five sacks for the first time in their career in their third year this past year. Other guys, David Animata, sweet name. Ani, I think that's how you pronounce it. Animata, I don't know. Fifth year in the league out of New Orleans. 
he was more of a he's more of a nose tackle. So that's kind of a, a bad comparison. He's like a massive human. Um, he only started two of the last two years. Finally broke out this year with six and a half. Chris Jones, I also don't think is a fair comparison because he was drafted as a defensive end and moved inside. He's also massive, it's huge. Here's the bigger issue. Okay, here's the bigger issue. And there's out of those eleven, there's really only two guys you can compare Ed Oliver to because of his size. Ed Oliver right now is only six one two eighty seven. Now, first of all, I'd like you to sit back and appreciate the fact that a guy six one two eighty seven primarily played the nose tackle position for the Buffalo Bills this year for a thirteen and three season. That is unbelievable. So the fa- and you never heard him bitch. You never heard him moan. That is unbelievable that he did that. However, next year moving back to the one tech. He's a guy that's going to rely on a guy next to him taking two, and he's got to beat a guy one-on-one. And if that's the case, and if and if you need to have a chip or whatever, now you have four guys or three to four guys trying to take up your just your two defensive tackles, that should free up your ends. That's why a guy coming back as a space eater is so huge. But anyway, Ed Oliver, and Aaron Donald is the best comparison. And not I don't like comparing it, but size-wise. Aaron Donald is just 6'1", 280, and to me, he's the best defensive player in the NFL. Then you have a guy like Draymond Jones, 6'3", but only 281, had six and a half sacks at a defensive tackle position in his second year at a third round for the Denver Broncos. Never heard of him. Yeah, me either. But the other nine in this group range from 6'3 to 6'7 and weigh between 300 and 313 pounds. So it's very hard to find a comparison that's not Aaron Donald, but I also don't think it's fair to compare Ed Oliver and hope that he becomes Aaron Donald. If he becomes a poor man's Aaron Donald, fine. That's still one of the most disruptive players, but he needs to take a huge step year three. I do think he will, and I, I think we should look more at pressures and how often he beats his man one-on-one and whatnot, but I do think he makes a huge step because of a one a real true one-tech next to him. That's how you finish. That's how you That's finish. That's how you finish a finale. That's <coughs> good information, and I learned something there. Yeah, Okay. Um, but the bottom line, we'll get to it, is that they need to have a more organic four-man rush if they end up wanting to be a legitimate NFL Super Bowl contender. But we'll move on here. Tim from Grand Island at WNY716 in parentheses, football. Joe's guy. Future father-in-law. He wants some hot takes on free agent acquisitions, who we are comfortable losing off the current roster, and the needs of the team – excuse me, the needs of the – the needs that this team – need to address. We are going to get to all that in our Bills wrap-up, so unfortunately, Mr. Wagron, you have to just sit around and listen for our Bills wrap-up. Romeo from the Falls, Niagara Falls, you know, it's a growing contingent here on Buckets and Dan, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you kind of got with us. They kind of joined around episode 32. That's when we kind of got out to the Falls, and that's fine. That's when we got hot. So, uh, Romeo says, Dan, Doug Whaley calling out Sean McDermott for backing down and going for field goals said that if he would have believed in his star quarterback, it would have been a long way. It would have gone a long way. Not it, Oh, it would have gone yeah. a long way in that situation. And that's going to carry on to next year. Do you agree? So uh, I, I should have <laughs> prefaced this for Romeo. You <laughs> but- Romeo, Romeo. <laughs> We're but out there. Romeo. If you listen to the quote, he was basically was saying that like that mindset putting in, and I don't necessarily agree with this, and I don't think any Bills fan that's listened has disagreed. Him 
backing down immediately put the mindset into Josh Allen of, we don't think you can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. And his point was it's going to carry over into next year until he proves it on a big stage. And I know we talked to Musk about this. He's afraid that McDermott, when it gets to high-level situations, they're going to sh- you're going to fall back into your comfort shell and go back to those ba- quote-unquote bad habits that we consider um, being a little more conservative. And I-, I don't think that's the case. I think that I have – like this every single year, this – and this is a very optimistic view. Excuse me. This – team this quarterback this coach grows from year to year if you look at how aggressive they were from 2017 to this year they were the most aggressive team in the regular season now they reached these basically right before the pinnacle of your profession and he kind of shelled up he'll learn from that if we get there again we'll talk about if we get there again later on so I don't think that and if you listen to McDermott's press conference he he kind of backed it up I don't think you can just go into the day after press conference and be like no I was completely wrong I, I regret everything and you also can't say yeah I sh- you know I should have done this should have done this so he he, he kind of told the line, which is what you'd expect. He did bring up that morale thing, which I hope was just taken out of context. He wanted the team to have some morale. Down, to, you know, obviously they were outscored twenty-one nothing to that point in the second quarter. He said he needed points for the morale of the team, which I understand they're not robots and it's not a video game, but I don't think it's tough for me to say this. I. When, we come, when it comes down to that situation, I think that going for the touchdown, and while it would be deflating if you didn't get it, at least you know that that's the mindset you need to have in the second half. You're aggressive. You're going balls to the wall. You're doing everything. To me, that field goal was like, oh, let's just try to keep it close. Steal it at the end, which to me, that's the same thing they did in the first game and the same mentality in the second game, and that's not how you win. Now, to be fair, we'll bring – again, I don't want to get too far ahead and go get off topic, but – Brandon Bean said this team is not a super – right now as it's constructed, is not a Super Bowl contender. So maybe McDermott knew that going in and thought they'd have to steal the game. I just – I don't agree I don't with that. So. But either way, I don't think this will lead into bad habits and whatnot moving forward. Thank you, Romeo. Where are out – what where, is it? Where out there – That's Where out it. thou, Romeo? That's over sports guys, not theater guys. <laughs> How about this? Mike from the town of Tonawanda. I'll take care of this one, Bill. <clears throat> yeah, why not? In your storied radio – podcast careers what was your favorite live golf tourney to cover and why was it the pepper here's what i'll say to that it definitely has to be the pepper it's the one we've done and just due to the high level respectful level-headed non-threatening rational leadership committee that the whole tournament has you know i i just there's no doubt that it's definitely that golf tournament maybe someday we'll be allowed back to cover the golf tournament but until then I think we'll be just fine. And if you want any merchandise, you can follow the Pepper on Twitter at the Pepper 2017. You can tweet them saying that you that Buckets and Dan sent you, and they'll give you 50% off any merchandise that they have for sale. So go ahead and do that. And this might be controversial. I might get some flack for this, but allegedly one of the team captains might be uh, might be starting to talk to one of our former Cortland friends. So it's a small world. It's a small world. I don't know what any of that means. But yeah, we'll talk off okay. here. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, how about you uh, give they, us they're, – They're in the stage of – and my dad thinks this is funny, so I'm stealing it. They're in the stage of talking. Okay, yeah. I remember those days. They're talking. I remember those days. How about Andrew from Geneseo, Bill? Andrew from Geneseo. Andrew, I mean, you've been trying to bang in this question every single week since about episode 28. Finally, you know, we're just going to leave it all out there. I think this is an easy one. So do I. <laughs> All Buffalo sports games excluded. So that means bandits and bisons too. Would you rather only be able to watch sports before 
or after <laughs> I don't think there's 7 any, p.m. There's literally not uh, there's not there's not any <laughs> argument here at all. It's, it's after. It's after. <laughs> I it's, mean, people work, Andrew. Yeah, it's, pro- it's, it's not the 60s when the World Series games are being played at 1 p.m. I mean, every big game is is played after 7 p.m. to accommodate the West Coast. I think this is a no-brainer. I love staying up late and watching sports, man. Like that's you know, my you, favorite you know thing. You know was great. Do. I'll tell you a little story. Back in my single days, and uh, when I was just thriving at the Tell meet, me more. in the meat locker here with Sean and John, I made it a point, actually due to our friend Brian Doxter bringing this up, to try to stay up for every Vin Scully game his last year, knowing that that legend was about to go out, and I it was one of the most enjoyable. I'd fall asleep to that to to him serenading me with some Dodgers baseball, the best to ever do it. So uh, definitely, definitely uh, after 7 p.m. Andrew, this is a real good one. Go ahead. No, you got it. Okay. Uh, our good friend, Corey Lloyd, Coach Lloyd. So, Coach Lloyd, congratulations on hockey starting Former back guest. Up. I know you're excited. Yes, former Buckets and Dan guest. Former one of, and this is going to be wild when I say it at the end, wait until the last few sentences we have to say until I say how many guests we've had in our 95 shows. Corey's one of them. Yes, he is. Corey from Tonawanda wants to know, you are allowed to sit at a COVID-restricted four-person table at a dive bar of your choice enjoying wings and pitchers which dive bar what sauce and style for the wings and pick one saber and two bills to join you not named jack eichel or josh allen well once i saw dan's answer i got real kind of jealous i'd say but i guess since covid is gone from the world and gone from new york state as of you know today i might be able to get six in there which would be nice but if i gotta stick to four I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to try, he says two Bills not named Josh Allen. So I'm going to try and, first of all, get Trey White in there. And I'm going to get Carter Hutton in there because I'm going to try and rekindle that relationship. You know, who knows if they've even, like, spent time face-to-face talking about the Goalie Academy and Starter Hutton and things of that nature. So I'm going to try and, I'm a big guy. I like to foster relationships and, 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 and introduce people to one another. Um, and my other guy I'm going to go with is Mitch Morris, as you know. Ugh. The iconic photo, Brendan Graham, Bill O'Hare, and Mitch Morris at the airport. Finally, the first, you mentioned the other guy. The first guy we mentioned, or the first guy we met there, and Mitch Morris loved it, but he'll never come on the show, I guess. Um, <laughs> but Mitch Morris loved, and this guy was so excited when he saw us show up with chicken wings, and that was cool. And we also, you know, it got on camera, Dan. I'll give myself as much time as I want here to talk about that night. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, we also gave wings out to Frank Gore. Uh, I talked to uh, Tyler Croft, gave wings to him. Uh, there's others that I'm missing right now. Uh, John Brown, of course, Cole Beasley. Um, but the, there was one guy who walked by me who <laughs> I said, hey, sir, John, do you want any chicken wings? And John Feliciano said, no, I'm good, and walked right by me. The only guy to deny the wings, Dan. I didn't think I could like Feliciano anymore after <laughs> his Twitter and after yeah, his yeah. beatdown of the guy that punked off Josh Allen, but I, I do respect I him I didn't more. like Feliciano at the time, but sorry, that's that's my four. I'm going to go with Trey White, Starter Hutton, Carter Hutton, and Mitch Morse. Where are you um, going? And I'm going to Kelly's Corner, yep. of course, and I'm getting hot Cajun wings, and I'm nailing hay burner pitchers. That could get me in trouble, I but assume- if there's going to be one night and get in trouble – it better be with Trey White, Starter Hutton, and Mitch Morris. I would assume 
you're bringing your own hay burner, that that's not just... They I, have many pitchers of hay burners, so that's why... At I Kelly's it. Corner? Yes, they do, and they're All at right, a very I, reasonable I, rate I, as well. I apologize. I apologize. All right, my, my crew um, it definitely beats yours. I would say I'm... I'm going to ask Eric Stahl, and you know what? I was going to go Taylor Hall, and he just seems like a pretty boy rec room type guy. But I, He does, but and I love that Eric Stahl pick that you got, Dan, because say it. I mean, he's got stories. The yeah, guy won the 06 Cup. Exactly. He just looks weathered when you see him on the ice right now. He looks like he's seen some shit. And, um, I mean, he, think about that. You can say that because it's the finale. It's the finale. Gosh <laughs> darn it. Think about the upbringing he had with two brothers that also played in the NHL, the battles he must have had when they were younger. He's been on Team Canada. He's won a cup. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely would bring him. I'm bringing Deion Dawkins, the everyone's favorite Buffalo Bill right now. I, I can't imagine a more fun guy to bring around. And I'm bringing a guy that loves dive bars to begin with. Ed Oliver is known for going to dive bars around Buffalo. There's pictures of him at Mitchell's Tavern. There's pictures of him at, uh, what, the, the North End. So, now, I would say that what I would love to do is bring them to Mooney's, get some medium Cajun, reserve a table for Molly Duncan, have her bring over some buckets of blue light. However, if that doesn't qualify as a dive bar, we're, we're taking it to Niagara County. We're going to Climax and having Corky fry us up some. First, we're going to start with some fried clams. I've had those at Climax before. They're actually not bad. And then we're just going to get some classic medium crispy chicken wings up in God's country, North Tonawanda. And we'll have a great time just sitting around chatting. I was going to go with, like, Brandon Bean, but didn't want to. I would assume he meant player, so I didn't want to divert from the actual question. But, yeah, so Buckets went with Trey White, Carter Hutton, Mitch Morse uh, at Kelly's Corner for some hot Cajuns and Hayburner. I went with Eric Stahl, Deion Dawkins, Ed Oliver at either Mooney's or Kleemex with some blue light and just some classic medium crispy or medium Cajun at Mooney's. Our final Q&A comes to us from a big fan. And we first of all got to thank you Absolutely. to Mr. Joe Krause. For professor. Getting, for getting our name in the paper, you know, one, you know, in the summertime. That was certainly an exciting time. And unfortunately, that paper is no longer. <laughs> which is really sad, actually. Um, it's not funny. I don't know why you're <laughs> laughing. You're going to have to edit that out. Uh, so Joe says, uh, you know, what's your favorite guest of the 2.0 run? And what is a song that best defines the show's run from Cortland until now? And that is Joe, a great question. I think it's the best question yeah, of them all. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, I'm going to go with that song like, I ain't as good as I once was from Toby Keith. But I'm as good once as I ever was. Yeah, so because we're back. We're back. Yep. Yeah. And what about your favorite guest? My favorite guest. I mean, there's so many to choose from. We had so many under the radar, great guests, great interviews. I think the one that kind of just sticks out that people still talk about is when you go back to episode four, I believe, and that's Rob Johnson. Oh, yeah. Former Bill's quarterback. Because he just, he was off the cuff. Yep. He wasn't running the company line. Yep. He was great. He really was great. Uh, I think, uh, you know who's, like, Reamer's, and it sucks that it got cut out, some of it. He was very underrated. He was very good. He was off the cuff, too. He was. He was. He liked um, God, and he also liked just calling out Tom Donahoe. Yeah, he did. <laughs> well, those are the two, two things he swears by. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with friends in low places. I think that, you know what, there's a pandemic. People are low. We, I, you know, I've been, I was low at, you know, I, I've said this story before. I wouldn't have even have lasted at Cortland. I was having such a miserable time until Billy really took me under his wing. So changed my whole life, and I couldn't be more appreciative of that. It's a great party song. 
Um, so I'm going to go with Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks. And then I did like the Rob Johnson pick, but I'm going to go <laughs> Boog Shambi was an absolutely monster get for our crappy little podcast. The guy does ESPN Sunday Night, just became the full-time Cubs, guy. Cubs TV play-by-play uh, -play guy. Like, that is a monster get that we had in the summer. So, yeah, we've had – what are the guests? How many total guests did you say, Bill? I was going to save it for the end, but if you, uh, believe it, and I didn't count guests twice. So, guys, like, think about great segments we've had. Fina. Ace. I mean, how many times yep. has Ace been on talking about great golf yep. shows? Uh, think about time, the trivia guys you, we've had. Okay, multiple. so you counted all the no, trivia so guys, I too? I counted every single person besides us that we've had on, but I only counted Cass those and people. And in my pocket right here. The Mount Rushmore guys you counted, too? I counted everybody. Wow, all right. Only one time. 95 <laughs> guests in 40 episodes. <laughs> 95, and we thank every one of you. Absolutely. That was uh, an awesome Q&A. Let's send it over to our Buffalo Sports Blast from the Past, Danny Gare, before we finish with some Bills talk. Here we go! Our Buffalo Sports Blast from the Past is brought to you by R.E. McNamara. Have you been working from home and noticing how many rooms need an upgrade? Call R.E. McNamara at 741-4819. From basements to bedrooms, kitchens to attics, and especially when you want to convert a room into your home office, R.E. McNamara has you covered. 741-4819. We are very, very glad to be welcomed on our season, on our finale, by none other than Danny Gare, episode 40 here. He was our finale guest while we were at SUNY Cortland. Sabre legend, Danny Gare, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Uh, I hope you guys are well. I'm down here in Tampa, Florida. I, um, I've been here most of the winter. Um, I have a synthetic ice company called Can Ice, and um, it's manufactured here. So I'm down here working on the product, and uh, it's been very good with, um, fortunately, cross, keep our fingers crossed with this COVID situation. But, um, no, kids are buying it and families are buying it to, to train on. And um, other than that, I've been good. I miss my kids in Buffalo, but... Um, you know, we FaceTime quite a bit, but you guys, this is your last show. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. You got you had a hell of a run. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, Danny, I want to ask you, I guess I'll go off script here. What? It, so Can Ice, is that, I've, I think I've seen things similar. Is that where you could kind of put, uh, you could put it like in your basement, right? And you, it kind of replicates real ice. It probably is a huge thing right now. Well, it's, it's I've been in the business, Bill, for 10 years, Um I think the technology changes uh, like anything else does. Um, but uh, we met with this manufacturer four or five years ago in Tampa. And to me, it, it's all about similar to ice. You know, the, the glide has to be similar. Um, you can skate on this. Um, it's probably, um, you know, gives you uh, the opportunity to, to improve and, and to help, you know, develop your skills. So we've had probably over two dozen NHL players use it 
uh, for training facilities in their off season. Sidney Crosby uses it. Pavalski uses it. A lot of Jonathan Taves. And then we do a lot of institutional sales. We've done probably five or six rinks that change from this, from the synthetic ice uh, because of uh, costs and maintenance and so forth. So they put this in and if people are interested, they can go to www.can-ice.com, canice.com. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty um neat product, and like I say, it keeps me busy while uh, hockey is back now, which is good, but it, it kept me busy while uh, it was down a little bit in, the, in, the, in this downtime of the pandemic. Yeah, that's awesome. We're going to talk about hockey for sure, but I do want to let you know, when we talked to you our last, in 2014, you told us an amazing story of how you were drafted and the where, when, and we've had t- over 20 former Bills and Sabres on in our second run here, and I've asked every single right. one of them about their draft story, where they were. Yours was the best, and you told it to <laughs> us, and you had us dying. So so let me know if I remember this correctly. You're watching the draft. And you decided, you know what, I don't know. I'm going to go outside and mow the lawn. You might add your shirt off. I don't remember. But then your mom came outside and told you, hey, you were just drafted by the Buffalo Sabres. Did I get that right? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Punch Imlach was on the phone, and um, she was yelling to me, Danny, Danny, Punch Imlach's on the phone. I said, what? I can't hear you. The lawnmower's too loud. So I turned it off and went in and talked to Punch, and he said, congratulations, you were drafted by the Sabres, and uh, so forth and so on, and I was excited about it, and yeah, things went from there. You know, Danny, you obviously had an unbelievable career with the Buffalo Sabres and after the Buffalo Sabres, but you're one of six jerseys to be retired by the team. Um, You were an ambassador for the team, so as an alumni, uh, you know, I'm sure you talked to several other alumni. What's the current feeling around this Sabres team? Have you been able to watch any games? Is there there optimism? Yeah, I think there is. Um, Obviously, it's a shortened season, and I think every game, uh, I watched some of the game last night. I have the NHL package, but I think it's important. You have to get off to a good start, and... um, I think the additions of Taylor Hall, um, again, some offensive side, and then re-signing Reinhardt um, is, is important. Um, I, I think the, the young Dylan Cousins, is who I watched at the World Juniors this year, is going to be a solid NHL player. So, And Eric Stahl, who has some veteran moxie to him, I think, will help in the dressing room. Um, so I know Kevin Adams has made some additions, and uh, I, I think that when you look, you know, they're in a tough division with Washington and Boston and Philly and Pittsburgh and Islanders, Jersey, but they're in the hunt. So I, I think it's, you know, with, uh, there's 500 now, they're 3-3-1, three, three and one, and I know Ralph Kruger has, has always said, it, you know, they have to, you know, they have to have patience, but they also have to keep pushing the envelope. So I think uh, last night's win, and then they'll play the Rangers again tomorrow. If they can pick up another win, it keeps them in the race. So, yeah, I think they've made some good, they've made some good strides. Um, whether this is a playoff team, we'll see. But uh, I, I, I like the additions that they made, and I, I hope that their goaltending can shore up. I know Allmark Linus played very good last night and after the death of his father, which was sad to hear. 
I think he he may you know he may surprise some people. I wanted to get your take on this. If you are familiar with the situation that happened in Columbus with Pierre Luc Dubois, who you know for for a coach like John Tortorella, he pretty much just stopped playing and and in one way or another wanted out and kind of got his way. He got a trade out to Winnipeg. And you see in sports today with players in the NBA, they kind of have more power, and you see that in the NFL as well. They kind of can, in some ways, choose their own destiny. I mean, what does that mean to you as a, as a player who played through, you know, the 1980s? How would that have flown back in the day if a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois just stopped playing hard and said, I want it out of here? Well, it wouldn't have flown. He would have been sent to the minors. That's what would have happened. So back when we played, there was much more control by the management. Uh, the players didn't have a lot of movement clause, and they didn't have the ability. If if you did try and do that, and there were a few players back in the day that did, and most of them were blackballed, or, or you know, they were pretty much said, "Hey, you know, you, you're going to be you're going to be so hard to find. The hockey news won't find you. That's where they'll put you." So, anyways, no, I think it's just different times, and I think that, you know the. The, the players of today have a, have much more say in, in, in agents where they want to go and and uh, if they're not happy they are they can you know either um, you know voice their opinion and and say look at uh you know I'm not happy here I want to get out and um, that's what happened with Jean-Luc Lebois. I think he, he's a great player I think he's got a great upside I think Winnipeg he he will help he will help them. Um, you could see the writing on the wall when he wasn't playing that much and he wasn't giving it much effort. So it's like anything else. I think if you're a team, you want players to buy into the team concept. You want them to be, you know, um, giving everything they can each night for the team success. Um, and after a while, if that's not happening, it becomes a cancer. And I think that he had to be moved and that's what happened. And I think Line A will help uh, Columbus coming back. And it's, it's kind of funny, um, you know, I think both teams, and when you get a change in scenery, sometimes players, it, it, it should help them. Um, that's kind of what I think the teams are looking at. Yeah, Danny, I actually have a, a question. If you're a teammate, I mean, you if you're a Columbus teammate, you obviously lost a lot of respect for him. But how – maybe I'm wrong, and you mentioned the players are different to today, but even – you know, even so, try to imagine yourself as a Winnipeg Jet. Is wouldn't it be kind of awkward? Like that's the way the guy got to your team, kind of quitting on his last team for such a brotherhood sport like hockey. Or at that point, do you say, you know what, he's our teammate, he's got a a fresh view on things. Let's just try to look at it positively. Yeah, I guess you could take it that way, uh, Billy. I think you know, I would anyways. I, I mean, I. When I played our, our our teams that I played on with Buffalo and, and even in Detroit, if there was someone that, you know, wasn't in, in, in the room as, as part of the team, then um, you knew that, you understood it, you either worked towards as a captain like I was, you tried to, to make sure that it didn't get to a position like it did with uh, both those, with Jean-Luc Boudoir mostly, um, but it's a business. I mean, nowadays it's a, it's a business and, and people, players move quite a bit um, and, and, you know, they, they come into a room and then you accept them and then you, and you move on. I mean, that's, I would think that's the way the, the, uh, the Winnipeg players, I think his dad is a, is a coach for their minor league team in, in Winnipeg. So 
I heard him the other day on the NHL network that he's excited to go there and, you know, he's got a quarantine for two weeks, so that doesn't help him. But anyways, um, yeah, I guess we'll have to see where, see how it all plays out in the end. But, um, yeah, it's just a business to me right now, I would think. I don't think there's anyone better to ask than you this question. Rasmus Dahlin's in his third season. It hasn't gone exact. You know, when he was drafted, as you know and I know, he was looked yeah. at as a franchise franchise cornerstone, once-in-a-lifetime player. I wouldn't say it's panned out to that point. With this, In his third year, there's been some struggles. You played with a guy in a similar situation and Phil Housley when you were in your prime of your career. I mean, what's your perspective on Darlene at this point? Well, I think, you, you know, defense, for one, is probably to come in and play. Um, I mean, he came in as an 18-year-old, I believe. Um, he's only 21 now. He's very young. It's the hardest position to adapt to in, 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 in the sport. Um, uh, he's not a big guy, similar like Housley wasn't a big guy. He's got great skills. He can skate. He can move the puck. He's, he's got a great hockey IQ. He understands the game very well. But, again, I think um, he's still very young, um, and I think there's a lot of upside for him. But as his body grows into it and he gets to be, you know, uh, I think, you know, much more confident, um in his game and in his role, I think, uh, I mean, he's, he certainly has the skill, uh, guys. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, time and how Ralph Kruger positions him. And he's going to play a lot. But uh, again, and I saw that hit against Philadelphia uh, when uh, they, they gave him a four minute, uh, I thought a guy should have been thrown out, but this yep. was what, three or four games ago. And, and no one came to his defense, which some, a lot of people asked me that. And I said, well, it's just not the game anymore, but, not the way when we played if someone right. went after somebody you know you, you took you, you didn't take liberties like that and it was unfortunate and that might have set him back a little bit um but again i think you know with the game today it's much more of a high level fast-paced skill game than than a more of intimidating style game than when i played and in, in, in the 80s but um i think rasmus will be fine i think he's like i say he's still very very young and this this team is a pretty young team, and they're going to grow up together and, and and have some you know some niches along the way, and and some some you know um, some some areas where they'll learn from. So I, I think he I think he'll be all right. As you mentioned, Housley, I think he did okay throughout his career <laughs> for being a little guy. Yeah, I want to ask you about another Rasmus, and that's Ristolainen. I catch a lot of flack around here because I'll call them number nerds. I'll call them for what they are. A lot of the analytic. People, they like to just apps. They like to abuse Ristolainen and talk about all the numbers and everything like that. You talked about physical toughness and how it's not part of the game anymore. I'm a big fan of Ristolainen because he plays with an edge. He plays extremely physical, and he's played really well this year. Did you, do you have you kind of seen that this year? He's kind of almost taken a step, and I know he's played a ton of games in the league, and he's still young. But haven't you seen a step? Yeah, I have. I think he's. Um... I think he, he's kind of bought into what Ralph Ruger's teaching teachings are and coaching. Um, I think he's he's starting to not uh, listen to the naysayers, as you say, that are out there. I'm also a big fan of, of, of Bruce Lannan's. I think he's a, a warrior when he comes to play the game. 
He plays against the top line every night. He's He plays the most minutes of any defenseman. He's physical. He's got an edge, like you say. And I, I'd love to see maybe the Sabres have a few more players with the edge because I think, you know, it, that helps in, in in making a statement as a team. But in saying that, I, I think Rasmus has been, yes, he has taken – um, a little more ownership uh, of himself and the team um, this year, and it's showing. Danny, when it comes to Jack Eichel, I think everybody on this phone call could say, uh, I know Bill agrees, that it that he's an elite talent in the NHL, and the team performance hasn't gone along with his individual success. So, you know, Buffalo fans, because we're always worried about the worst-case scenario because of the Bills and Sabres of the past, we're worried that he's going to get frustrated and want out. I don't know if you can even relate to this. I mean, I think I read as a rookie you guys made the Stanley Cup final. So imagine putting yourself in Jack Eichel's shoes. Where would the frustration be? Would you try to – is it is it hard not to blame yourself? And is, is there anything the team can do besides just winning to really accommodate him and keep him happy to want to stay here long term? Well, I'll tell you one thing: that ten million dollars in the bank doesn't hurt every year to keep him happy. I mean, I That's wouldn't true. mind ten million dollars on a non-playoff team. But no, jokingly, I think I think you know that Jack is a proud individual. I think he's a guy that um, wants to win. He's shown that throughout his, uh, you know, his his minor hockey, his college hockey, um, his, his his play with the USA hockey teams. Um, I think. It's like anything. He's got pride, and he, and he, you know, he's got a great skill skill set. I mean, he he is their captain. He wants to prove to people that you know that uh, not not only he can be a good player, but his team can be good. And I think that that um, you know it takes a little time, and then it's frustrating when you're not making the playoffs. Shit, I made the playoffs every year I played in Buffalo, and it, and and it was just a grant. You just you just took it for granted, but we had good teams. Jack hasn't had the, the surrounding, uh, you know, um, help maybe in, as, as far as teammates. But I think, they, like I said earlier, they made some good moves. And, and and I think he's coming into his own a lot more, too. It was nice to see him score last night to get off the schneid in that regard. But his his shootout goal was, was excellent. And I think he's got lots of upside. And, and uh, I mean, uh, he just wants to, to win for the – for the town, I think he's he's a big, you know, he he, he loves Buffalo. Um, you can see his love for the Bills as as much of us, uh, you know, really have had this year. It was an outstanding year for them, but he wants to continue to show that I think he this team is good enough to make the playoffs, which is something that is their goal this year. Danny, you mentioned what you're up to now. It's usually the last question that we ask, but since we started with that. Right after playing yeah. and throughout the and throughout your life, shortly after playing, you were able to get into some broadcasting. So I guess I want to know, I know you're staying involved in the game, obviously, with your current company, but do you miss being around the actual teams and, like, the locker rooms and the actual players? Actually, no, I don't, to be honest with you. And I'll tell you why. Interesting. Because I did it for 14 years in the National Hockey League, and then I did it for 26 years as broadcast. That's 40. And then I'm an ambassador. So, I, I, you know what, to be honest with you, I'm just kind of semi-enjoying my semi-retirement here down in Florida. <laughs> and I like to golf and I like to get away and um, spend some time on my own. And I did all that and it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I missed it when I went into broadcasting, but that helped me get through the 
you know, the camaraderie side of it, the, 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 you know, the teammates. And, but I still get to see some of my teammates, uh, former teammates uh, down here in, in the, you know, in the Tampa area in Florida. Rene Robert and I played golf. I played with Phil Esposito the other day. So it's, it's, it's enough. And, you know, you've got to be careful with this pandemic. And um, I no, actually, Billy, I don't, I don't, I don't miss, I kind of enjoy being, you know, have a little quiet time. So as I'm getting older, I guess you appreciate that a little more, but I do miss not having to be around my, my children as much, even though I FaceTime and my grandkids, but I like watching the games. I follow it still. I, 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 you know, like I said, I watched the game last night with the Sabres. I thought they came back strong and um, I'm looking forward to this shortened season and the competitions between the rivalries in each division. So yeah, I mean, I get enough of it. <laughs> if, that, if that answers your question. <laughs> how, uh, how fired up were you for this bill season? I assume you're a big bills fan. Uh, oh, I was, I was, you know, I, I was unbelievable year for them. I was so happy for, the city, the organization, the Pagulas, um, and and the team. I mean, they 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 just continued. Josh Allen seemed to become a much more mature quarterback. They're they're the team. They think they're more of a family than than a team. They came together at the right time, and uh, it was just disappointing that they had to go up against the Super Bowl champs. And if you got to be, you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And they're just you know they were just a little better. So. They've got lots of time. They're a young team, like I said, and I think they're gonna they're gonna continue to move forward. Um, I'm, I'm excited for for the Bills, and I'm also excited, like I said, about the Sabers. I think they're on the right track. I, I'd like to see maybe a couple more additions, maybe, but I, I think where they're at, um, if they can get in the playoffs in the short, you just don't know. You know, you just don't know. So they're in the hunt. We'll see. We'll see. We'll keep. We'll keep an eye on it, okay? I got one last question for you, a quick one and a comment for you. I mean, as an old Sabre, how cool is it to watch them wear these jerseys? I think those whites oh, are the best in hockey. Let me tell you something. When I um, when I played with Wayne Gretzky, and I played a couple of, I came in a cup with him, and he's from Bradford, Ontario. It was Gretz's 60th birthday yesterday, and I sent him a note said welcome to the club <laughs> he said thanks but you know the one thing that the one thing that Wayne said he says why would you ever change those jerseys the ones we wore back in the day the blue and gold or you know the royal blue with the the gold trim and them it's why they're the best jerseys I've ever seen and and he was a Jill Perot fan um when he was growing up and he loved those jerseys and I know they went back and forth on the, you know, the demonic goat head and everything else. And, <laughs> but this jersey, when oh. you look at it, it, it just jumps out at you, and it's classic. It's a classic look, and they're getting a lot of, um, you know, kudos for Brim coming back. But I, again, I don't know why they ever changed them because they were the best jersey that I ever wore. Like in my opinion, you know, I can't really speculate on the goat head and and how they got away from it. But just, I can't because well, they suck. Well, they, they, they look brutal. They, but when they went back to the you know the center album with like the buffalo and the goat head or not the goat head just like the the running buffalo, you and the but when they had that deep navy and and I mean it looked not fine. The color. It not looked the okay. It looked okay at the time. But for us fans who didn't really understand how nice the royal was, 
But just the minute they went back to that Royal, the minute they dropped the puck, as bad as the team looked on opening night against Washington, man, that jersey looked beautiful. Yeah, they, they were, like I, like I say, I watched quite a bit on the NHL network, and they were praising the colors, and, the, and it, just, it just jumps out at you. And it's just, it's a classic look, and it's a classic jersey. It's the one I wore when I played there for seven or eight years and loved every minute I put it on. Absolutely. That jersey. So, yeah, but it, I'm glad they're back, and hopefully that, that'll, um, you know, bring some good signs for this team. So I'm going to leave you with this, Danny. We uh, Every time we bring in a guest, whether it be someone from out of town or an old Bill or old Sabre, we always say, you know, wings on us next time you come back. So what, I'll, what I was going to promise you was uh, a foursome, me, my co-host Dan, you and Mark Simon at River, and then dinner at Sinatra's, but then I realized that's out of my budget. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, we can just do wings at Duff's. So we'll put it on the Connect Life tab. <laughs> oh, whatever. But, no, I, I'm glad I, I got to be on your last show. Um, I, you guys do a great job. I, I wish you luck. Uh, I wish you safety. I wish you, you know, all good things coming up this spring and for 2021. And, and if people are, are interested in, in a great synthetic ice product, it is very, very similar to ice they can train smarter skate better anytime 365 days a year go to can-ice.com my plug (laughs) no we love it we absolutely love it hey we'll we'll make that the sponsor of the show there you go there you go well thank you so much danny we really appreciate you guys take care it was great chatting with you again all right thanks thanks take care bye-bye Alrighty then. All right, Bill. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up this Bills season. It ended one game shorter than we would have hoped. 38-24 beat down the Bills took, and I wasn't even that close, to be honest, Bill. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess the major takeaways are they looked like a vastly inferior team. It shows how much work this Bills team really still has to do to get to that next level. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but it shows the gap in quarterback play still, you know, between as much of a leap as Josh Allen took. I think Mahomes is still, you know, the guy. Um, For me, uh, emotionally, I backed Sean McDermott all night, you know, because he's done really nothing to steer us wrong. And the next day, you know, kind of I actually rewatched parts of the game and kind of was able to dissect some of the decision-making. Can't really hammer him on a lot of things, but – one thing I guess I'll just say off the cuff is I was kind of bothered that, you know, you're going to sign a guy like Kenny Stills and you got obviously a banged up Cole Beasley and obviously a banged up Gabe Davis. And what Tony Romo was saying all night is the bottom line is the Bills receivers did not create a lot of separation. And you're still going to play Beasley, you know, no matter what. But I really kind of question, you know, playing a rookie when you could play a guy who's been in a lot of big time spots provide an extra angle, provide, you know, some speed in a guy like Kenny Stills. Yeah, I have a, I have a comment and a question to you about that. The comment is I've, I've been doing a lot of reading and listening about this game, and they mentioned what an, what an advantage the Chiefs had, that this is their third straight AFC championship game. You get a general idea of how physical you can play. Stephon Diggs does not like playing physical. They beat him up at the line. The Bills backed off from, from – whoop, we got to free up some storage space here. The Bills – good thing it's the last episode – they, they backed up the whole game, um, so 
John Brown looks like it looked like his last game as a Bill. I do agree with you that Gabe Davis only played like 12% of the snaps, and I don't know what his normal number is, but that just seems very higher. I mean, Beasley was playing with a broken leg, uh, so I do agree with that. But I want to know, in your opinion, what was the bigger mismatch, at least from from watching and maybe reflecting, coaching or quarterback play? Um, you know, I want to say coaching because schematically it didn't seem like they were right. I mean, you got guys like Travis Kelsey running wide open. He did not make many contested catches. But then you wonder, I mean, do they just not have the type of roster? Or do, they, do they not have the type of personnel to be able to match up schematically as they would have wanted to? It's got to be frustrating going into that game saying, you know, there's two guys that can beat you on the Chiefs, Hill and Kelsey. And Hill ends with nine catches for 1,720 yards. Yeah, 172 yards. Kelsey ends with 13 catches, 118 yards, two touchdowns. Like they, they were all over the place at all times. It seemed like Andy Reid was one step ahead the whole entire time. And it got me thinking about, you know, how often these assistant coaches leave these great coaches. You, you hear about the Andy Reid coaching tree, and you hear about the, the Belichick coaching tree. And guess who rarely beats the guy at the head of the tree? The branches. And it just looked like the, the, the mentor clearly knew what steps ahead he was of McDermott. And you could, I mean, if you know McDermott's a competitive guy, he was fired by Andy Reid in 2011 as the defensive coordinator for the Eagles. You know that this game meant a lot to him, and he just didn't have the answers. And again, he could, McDermott might have looked at this roster and said, we don't have the horses to compete, and we're going to try to basically, you know, try to steal one and scheme our way out to a victory. And that's just not, to me, how you win an AFC championship game. Think about how legendary Andy Reid is. You know, everyone wants to crown Bill Belichick as the greatest coach of all time. But in his eight years of not being with with Tom Brady, who is now in the Super Bowl in his one year without Bill Belichick, he hasn't made the playoffs. And he's got one year of a winning record without Tom Brady. Meanwhile, on the other side, let's talk about Andy Reid. Because, I mean, he's really making a name for himself, and he should be in the running as greatest coach ever. Honestly, I mean, Think he about took he, Philadelphia yeah. Eagles teams constantly to the NFC Championship, gets fired, goes to Kansas City, makes an he made a playoff run, I believe, with Alex Smith, then I believe made the AFC Championship game. What is this? Their, their, you said their third straight, right? Yep. Yeah, because they lost to New England and won a Super Bowl last year, potentially could win a Super Bowl this year, which they're going to be favorited in. And they have the best quarterback in the universe. And, I mean, if he gets a couple more Super Bowls, I think that's going to be a pretty contentious argument. And Andy Reid has a real reason to say – He's the greatest NFL coach to ever live. And pardon my take made this point earlier. How many more years would you say Andy Reid has left as head coach? Well, he's 62 years old. I believe he was born in 58. He's built like a brick <laughs> shit house. I don't know if that's <laughs> It's the finale. I know, but that's not like no, that's he's, he's built diffy. Yeah, he's built like a guy that loves cheeseburgers. That's not what a brick shit house is, but uh, I think he's fine. I think he goes I like he's he's got a passion for the game. And you, as a coach, you know, your passion burns deeper when you have the greatest player in okay, the so sport Okay, so give me a playing. number so I can make this point. I'll say he's playing I – th- I think he's coaching six more years. All right, so if you're Eric Bieniemy, do you say, I'm just going to ride this out for six more years, then have eight more years with the greatest quarterback of all time? Is that Could that be one reason that he's not taking these jobs or interviewing I don't think he's not? getting these jobs. <laughs> so. yeah. All right, well, that was just one – point they brought up the other day all right well we got we got off on a tangent there 
A number that's just also um, just mind-boggling is the Bills' third down offense. They were just 5 for 14 against Kansas City, 11 for 35 in the playoffs. It looked like a different offense in the playoffs, just 31%. They were hitting near a 50% clip in the regular season. Obviously, Beasley's injury has a lot to do with that, but you know what else has to do with the lack of running game finally catching up and the lack of using Josh Allen in the run game. Here's my point about the – He used – What? Just on third down in the playoffs. How about fourth and three? You're telling me your big galoot of a quarterback can't get three yards on a quarterback sweep? Especially the way he's built. That's my point. So that's why it's frustrating. But he looked flustered. He reverted to some dumb plays like the frustration that he showed versus the Rams earlier in the year. He had those eyes. Throwing the ball dead. He looked – yes, he did. And it's not to say – what's great about Josh Allen is he just never seems content and he understands – his deficiencies, and he, you know what they they that famous picture of him on the Texans bench last year, and you could say like you could see the fire in his eyes. You got the same the same fire in his eyes this year. So it's it's not like there's no hope at all. It's just you like those there's he just does back breaking plays, but that's the type of quarterback you have to live and die by. If he's gonna break away and make those amazing plays, then. Is there like can you tell him to stop trying to get away and just go down on those sacks that he's losing twenty yards on on second down, making an impossible third down and stuff? It's it's a very frustrating. It's going to be something that they'll have to talk about in the off season. Let's talk about the off season. I'm sick of talking about this game. I'm already on to next year. We're on to 2021, 2022. I I would like to start off with some negative thoughts. All right, you you have all the bills. Players and Sean McDermott saying after the game, the Bills will be back. You're, there's a foundation, blah, 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 blah. Don't you think every frigging team that makes it to the AFC or NFC Championship game says, we will be back, blah, blah, blah. Don't you think the Titans said it this year? Don't you think the um, – the uh, what did they make the point? Was the Colts back when they lost to the Patriots when they had a good young quarterback in Andrew Luck, they said, we'll be back. Never made it back. All right, there's, there's teams that dominate this, and it, the AFC is only getting harder. Justin Herbert's only going to take another step. Joe Burrow's going to be here. Deshaun Watson is still in the AFC. You don't know if Stafford's going to come to the AFC. It's only getting harder. A lot of question marks he brought up. I mean, of all those quarterbacks, I guess, besides Herbert, with a brand-new head coach, um, with a guy like Josh Allen on the ascension and a guy like Stephon Diggs going into year two as a receiver and the camaraderie and the culture that they have built, I have every reason to believe they will be back. One thing that gives me hope is the front. No, I can't, which is still not going. I can't believe no one took anybody from the Bills front office, and they've done a great job at building this roster and building through the draft. So I do still have faith in that guys like Joe Shine and Dan Morgan. Um, so that gives me comfort. But there's a lot of moves that can potentially be this made. This is here. when you need to be ultra sensitive and ultra smart about the salary cap because your window to win is now. You see that happening with Kansas City. They're winning because Patrick Mahomes is not being paid his huge, huge contract at this moment. When that kicks in, their lives are about to get a lot more difficult. For yep. the Bills right now, they got to make very smart decisions, potentially the Super Bowl or an AFC championship game is won in the next few months. So are they going to make those smart decisions? Dan, there's certainly a lot of questions that we have. And I'll build on this point later about how fun this season was, but – the reason it gets me so sad, and we've talked about this in our group chat or whatever, it's just such an extremely likable group. You could tell how tight-knit they were. And just because it's a business, it's the nature of the beast, there's going to be, a, and especially with the cap potentially down to near $175 million when 
it was thought in a normal year to go up to like 210 or something. It's just massive. It's a massive. There could be a massive overhaul to this team. You got guys like Daryl Williams who played awesome in their one year. You got fan favorites like Feliciano could be on their way out. John Brown who brought some some uh, legitimacy to this offense it, for so long. It was such a such a boring. Um, you know, run-of-the-mill offense. He comes here. People thought he was overpaid. He played awesome, does the awesome dance. Just a really likable, fun guy, a guy that we'll look back maybe in 20 years from now on this podcast be like, yeah, I remember John Brown. He was great. He could be cut to save money. He probably will be cut to save money. Um, Devin Singletary, probably gone. Tyler Croft. I, I no, he's not. I don't. I do not think single. And if if he's still on the team, he's he's going to be the TJ Yeldon, not dressed. He's going to be the third running back. I don't see it. You think they're bringing back these two running backs to be starters next year? You are out of your mind. Yeah, I said it to you earlier in the, in the week that I don't think Devin Singletary will be back. But after listening to Brandon Bean's press conference today, I think other positions will be addressed. I think maybe they swap out Yeldon for another back and they provide some more competition for Singletary and Moss. I think guys get hurt. But I think Singletary is either traded for like a six-round pick on draft night. He's not released, obviously. He's, he's got some value to him. I think they hold on to him. I think you're insane if you think – He's not so. getting released. I'll, he, I'll bet you anything he's not getting released. I don't. I think you're nuts to say it's just not going to happen. Why would you take a guy like Devin Singletary? I, he, any team in the NFL is trading a seventh-round pick for Devin Singletary. I'd rather draft a running back in the seventh round. You know what you're getting in Singletary. He has tape. He's in his third year. He's getting better. He knows the offense. I'll getting take better. What the hell he's did not. he show this year that he's getting better? Well, I'm just saying, yeah, you're right, Dan. You're right. I'll, I'll take the loss there, but I will say, you know, he's young, um, and hopefully he can improve in the offseason on some attributes. You got guys on the defense. I mean, Matt Milano, talk about a, a feel-good story, a fifth-round pick, an undersized guy in college, quote-unquote, that – Worked his way up to potentially be a $13 million a year linebacker. And I am hoping they figure out a way to keep him. Um, you you got to hope a guy like Jerry Hughes isn't a cap casualty. I don't think he will be, but it, it's just sad. And when you look at the biggest team needs to make this a Super Bowl contender, uh, Brandon Bean mentioned a, a very telling – he had a very telling statement saying that he didn't feel that his tight ends provided a, a threat all year. Thank you. Which is pretty obvious. And again, you're going up. Think about the tight ends. We got roasted by tight ends all year. It's only getting better in athletic at that position this year. I think that'll be a huge need. And would it be great to get a guy like Kyle Pett? Sure. But it's going to, to me, have to be a guy like Dawson Knox. Let me tell you something about Dawson Knox real quick before you, you give your point. And I know I brought this up before with the amount, the limited stamps he's got. He played very well down the stretch. Now, he still needs to take a, the next step to be considered a top even 15 tight end this league. He has, I'm telling you, if you look at his just athletic attributes, a top five athletic profile of the position in the NFL. And he's got the same exact, literally, like scary similar measurements to Travis Kelsey. Now, that doesn't mean that Travis Kelsey's gold hands are the same as Dawson Knox. You've seen those look like bricks before. Ooh. But I, I think that... Um, he's I never coming on the show. I think he's still can be a complete top 10 starting tight end in the oh, NFL. That's bold. my that's my bold take. That's I, almost bold as me saying Devin Singletary is going to be on the Bills next year. I do think year. that as he's he's young, he was super raw coming out of college. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want them to go get a second right, right, option right, right. that um, you can run two tight end sets and whatnot, but that's just my thought. 
Yeah, I think that Travis Kelsey has proven himself to be the most important non-quarterback offensive player in the NFL, and I don't think it's debatable. He's literally unguardable. So if Dawson Knox— I could try to think of some arguments there. Like, what would the Packers be without— That's your argument, right? Like, what would the offense be without them? Like, think about the Packers without Devontae Adam. Uh, I want Travis Kelsey on my team. He's the greatest tight end to ever play the sport. I agree, but you still have— a great running back. I'll he, take Kelsey. I'll take Kelsey. He's the best tight end ever. And, I agree with that. And he's so important. So to get a guy who's even in the same stratosphere as him is is huge. All right, what are your thoughts on running back at 30? We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I think there's a lot of – there's going to be a lot of moving parts. It's going to be a weird year, no scouting combine. I kind of want a big defensive tackle to be there as stars insurance and to be there just to push the pocket. They're going to have a lot of options at 30. You're not going to – here's my point about drafting a running back at 30. You're probably going to get one of the two best running backs in the draft available at 30. You're not going to get one of the best pass rushers. You're not going to get one of the best offensive tackles. Okay, Now, it doesn't mean that those guys still can't be great starters for years and years and years, but I think what people need to stop doing is – like when I say don't take a running back in the first round, I mean like Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley. Like that's dumb. Like taking a top 10, top even 15 pick on a running back is so dumb. But when this team, what what does this team lack most as an offense? Take a running game. A running game, but speed. I mean, if you so this, this ETN can be used as a slot, he can use as a running know, back. Know, and I'm not saying, and if you keep him with Moss, when you do need, you know, your three yards, like I, I just think you, they need weapons. My problem with Singletary is he's not a game breaker. Correct. Well, I don't know what them. he provides, right? And, and, and clearly and he I can't think, catch because that catch was mass or th- that oh, drop was massive. Was huge. It was huge, and they took him out. And and my thing is with Moss, I think hopefully they drafted Zach Moss with the intention of him being the every down back and maybe potentially moving Singletary to a complementary role. You want? I you would hope. I guess if they draft a running back at in the first round, they don't believe in Zach Moss as well. I don't agree with that either. Like, I don't know. Like, is Damian Williams – would Damian Williams be a horrible starting running back in the NFL? I, th- I think you can find these guys anywhere. That's fine. And then the Chiefs still went out after winning a Super Bowl and drafted a game-breaking receiver to help out in the passing game and running game. I think – the and I had this argument with Charlie Panapino on our run today. The, the days of defense winning championships and the idea of trying to construct a team to slow down the Chiefs are over. You're not going to slow that team down. The average points needed to p- beat Patrick Mahomes in his career is like 36 points. So it's not like defense stole those games. He had one outlier against the Chiefs. You need to outscore them. You need a bevy of weapons on this team, and that involves speed. It involves having a bunch of, like, Miracle Hartman. Okay, He almost blew the game for the Chiefs, but with that muff punt. And then they get him an end around. They get him a deep pass. They get him a touchdown. I mean, this is the type of weapons, and he's what their third, fourth option. That's how deep this stable Watkins, is. Watkins, you don't even think about exactly. That's my point. You're making excellent points, and and especially when you can't, you don't just go get Travis Kelsey off a tree. You don't just draft no, absolutely. So you need to just fill every other position with the biggest weapons you can have. I feel like I'm guarding Allen Iverson. You're crossing me up. You got me. You got me contradicting myself. But I guess. It, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with that first-round pick because I think the popular thing right now is to draft a running back, especially after it, 
we're kind of still feeling the hurt from the end of the season, and we couldn't run the ball, and Singletary gets benched. But I think we're going to realize once free agency happens and potentially, and we'll talk about this, and guys like Matt Milano potentially walked, there's going to be other holes that we're going to have to address. And, and I don't I don't disagree with that. Especially in this defense, you need two linebackers. They play a 4-2-5 defense, so which means you need – a super competent linebacker next to your quote-unquote franchise middle linebacker, then what you need next is that big nickel that we talked about, that Kyle Duggar, Jeremy Chin, that there's that Hamza Nazardine or whatever from Florida State that Joe Marino keeps harping on. Because guess what? Teron Johnson is a great slot against a slot receiver. Yeah, Nobody can Tyree guard. Hill. Correct. Not against um, these massive tight ends. You need that, that game-breaking, <sighs> that is, hybrid guy. Is that why they could not? You know, did they just not Do you know why it's open? Because they couldn't play man. Right. Well, not only that, the Chiefs have so much speed that you have to back up your safeties 15 yards. You have to put your cornerbacks back. When you do that, you open up 20 yards in the middle of space for your middle linebacker who just keeps getting... Like, again, you're also facing the what could be the greatest quarterback of all time that can look this way and at the last second fire a sidearm pass that's this far from your hand into the pocket of a receiver. So I, yeah. it's very hard. To, you know what you do? You need a pass rush, and you don't have a pass you, rush. You I don't. Need, you need a pass rush. I don't know how you get four. an organic pass rush with this team. You need a pass team. rush with four. You got to somehow figure that out. And I think you know, even if you want to play zone, you cannot. If we ever see Kansas City again in the AFC Championship, you cannot make life so easy for Travis Kelsey. You cannot just sit back and play in a zone, like you said, Dan. You got to have a big nickel, a big safety who can. It can be their job. And we talked about this for less. 10 years with Rob Gronkowski, but makes Rob's or Travis Kelsey's life miserable and bump him off the line and make it tough for him to make those easy catches. I don't know. And again, we talked about Ed Oliver taking that next step, but it's just, it's, it's unfathomable to me that they had the highest paid defensive line this past year. And will most likely, if they were me, they are going to have to redo pretty much the whole entire thing. Those three guys they brought in last year, I would cut every single one of them. Mario Addison, Vernon Butler, Quinton Jefferson. Okay? 100%. I would cut probably Harrison Phillips. Even though he could, well, could he, be a reserve guy. You could, yeah, that's fine. But that means you have to, I mean, there was, there was, I saw a tweet today. They asked AJ Panessa to lose like, a lot of weight. A lot of weight. Then, he, then they said he lost too much weight. They tried adding it back, and he couldn't add it back on. So they need to figure out that situation because he's supposed to step in and be a starter or at least a, a quality role player coming in. I think a lot of what you do in the draft depends on Epineza, right? Because if you don't believe in Epineza, if you don't think he can make an impact long term, you your most glaring weakness is defensive end. But I agree with that. Epineza, and how many starting day one defensive ends are you going to find in the end of the first round or starting right, in the second absolutely. round? And not to mention the offensive line has two starting offensive linemen up for free agency. Daryl Williams, to me, is gone. And that's and Daryl, thank you for your service. You played your balls off. You earned your monster life-settling contract. I, I, we'll see what that contract is. I, I think I, I still think there's a chance they can get him reasonably. I think Feliciano, if you can get him reasonably, that's a no-brainer. Feliciano has a really good relationship, it appears, with Josh Allen. So... Yeah, obviously you're looking at, I mean, let's just talk quickly about the pending UFAs. I mean, that's Feliciano, that's Darrell Williams, and that's Matt Milano. I mean, how do you rank them in terms of how you want to bring them back? Milano would be number one. I don't think Feliciano's great. I think that we get excited because he's such a good guy. I think, but I mean, he's definitely a, a an average to above average starter, in my opinion. I don't know, I don't watch offensive lines around the league, but I think that you offer, like he got worked 
this past game. He, but he's also going against one of the best defensive tackles in the league, Chris Jones. So I think you offer him a a, a decent con. I mean, a six million dollar a year, and say if you want to test the market, go ahead. If you want to leave this, go ahead. But we're not paying you like top ten guard starting right guard money. I think that would be insane. I think Williams is gone. I and I think you have you need your then your right tackle becomes a need. But like we've talked about in past podcasts, this is a weird year. You're gonna get guys like Darrell Williams are gonna do the same thing. And I know Musk hates doing these one year deals because then you set yourself up for failure. But there's gonna be a lot of guys that have to take a lot less money and want to because of that sign a short term deal due to the salary cap. I think there's and I think that Buffalo is now a destination for good players to come. Took the words out of my mouth. Um, shrunken salary cap could benefit us in a lot of ways. You know what? Go ahead. And also, like you said, I'm just going to repeat it. I mean, for the first time in the last 20, what, yep. five years, the Buffalo Bills, it's actually not an afterthought. It's a place, yeah, I would love to go play in Buffalo. I'd love to go play with Josh Allen and Sean McDermott. So that is only going to benefit us in terms of how we structure salaries and whatnot. I think, you know who else is uh, is going to be – interesting to watch what they do is uh, Cody Ford. Is he just going to be battling for left guard? They better not put him back at right tackle. He's not a tackle. He, the only time he looked halfway decent was at guard. I do not agree with cutting Mitch Morse to save money. I think he is an elite pass rushing. I think he's helped Josh Allen a lot. I think he's the another anchor of that offensive line. He's not great at run blocking by any means, but he's still a top 10 center in the NFL. I know you're paying him to be the number one center, but I don't know. I, I that's that seems like a no-brainer to me, but I think you have to pencil Cody Ford into a starting guard position that's next fine, year. And you have to evaluate Ike Butker and see if that but, he's the other starter. But, and then all of a sudden your guard position is taken care of if Feliciano doesn't come back. That's true too. I, I wouldn't mind like Ike Butker is also one of those guys that can swing out to tackle. Like he would be the perfect reserve guy to fill out in any situation. But think about your depth you're losing. You're losing Ty Nasecki. How about some guy no one's mentioned, like Isaiah McKenzie, if you read the article by Tyler Dunn. He doesn't love his role here, and I think that he wants to go somewhere and be slot. a slot guy or something like that. So there's the only speed you have on your team is put, is most likely leaving, in my opinion. Unless you get Kenny Stills and on a team-friendly deal. That's going to be interesting, too. What do they do with him? A lot of questions, a lot of questions. And you know where they're set? Actually, Quarterback. He, well, that is the most <laughs> important one, but I was going to say special teams. But actually, that's not true either. Roberts, Roberts, a free agent. Listen. And Bajorquez is restricted. The bottom line is, you know, the teams that win in this league have their core set, and it appears the Bills are trending in that direction. And at least we can say this in late January in our finale, the Bills are in a better spot than we've had in our the last 20 years. And we're grateful to be in this position. And it's fun to have the arguments to talk about these little – Things that are huge in in, a, in some sense, but in other senses minor, and to yeah, be able to think guard. about think about things that you know could potentially put us over the top and bring us a Lombardi Trophy, rather than thinking about what's who's our next quarterback and can we sign Ryan Fitzpatrick long term. When was the last time this organization had a 100% rock solid head coach, GM, quarterback, left tackle, and corner. wide receiver one and cornerback one? Never. I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. And, Dan, one guy, I mean, we forgot to mention who I think he's made. You know, I haven't watched the games over and over and over. You can speculate if you want to. But he's made some flash plays in the last five weeks is Levi Wallace. Yep, that'll be. but they don't value that second corner, so that will be interesting. Josh like, Norman's not back. I think Levi Wallace is back. I agree. I agree. You also have Dane Jackson. You have uh, – 
EJ Gaines, who Musk mentioned to us, opted out, so he'll be back. So in, many questions in the offseason, Dan. I mean, it's just so fun. That's I'll, quickly, I'll end with this. Yeah, yeah I mean, I like the offseason art. I think I like the offseason just as much as I like the actual season. I, I love the draft. And, I mean, I'm forgetting his first name. Is it Les Snead, the GM of the of the Rams? Yes. He's the probably has the greatest job. I mean, richest owner you can ever imagine. Um, and they're in a tough spot. There's so many teams in a tough position. Really, the talking situation right now across the NFL is how many new starting quarterbacks from week one in 2020 to week one in 2021 will there be? And people are talking about maybe there's 15 new starting quarterbacks. Maybe there's 18 new starting quarterbacks. There's rumblings about Aaron Rodgers not being happy. I mean, there's rumblings. I mean, the GM of the L.A. Rams is pretty much saying Jared Goff's on our team today. But the salary cap's a wild thing, and we're going to do whatever we can do. And I th- I think what happened is they called Goff's agent. They said, we want to restructure this deal. And they said, no, it's not going to happen. And now I think they're playing hardball, and they're hoping for a trade. Who would – I don't know who would want that contract. That contract's that not that bad after this season. Um, and there's just so many quarterbacks. There's so many interesting things. And, Dan, I think you said in episode 38 or 39 with – a revolving door, you know, with a carousel of quarterbacks and potentially 15 to 20 new starting Schefter quarterbacks. Said 18. 18, he took the over on that. Yeah, I know, I saw that. It's just very, very comforting to sit back and say we have our guy. Speaking of sitting back in and just reflecting, okay, quickly, I'll take 30 seconds to do this. Um, just try to close your eyes, Bill, and imagine if the Bills went like 8-8 eight and eight this year, what this year would have meant. Think about – I don't care – I mean, obviously I do care. Hopefully this is the start of a 10-year run that the Bills are legitimate contenders. But if it, if it's just one year, think about how special this group was, how much this community needed it, how fun it was every single week waiting for this Bills game and the shows they put on. 13-3, and division champs, won two playoff games, made it to the AFC Championship game. Their quarterback was an MVP candidate. Their receiver was statistically the best receiver in the league. It... It is remarkable to look back. If you, if you, if you before the season said, "Give me your wildest dreams," yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if I could have came up with this season. We needed it. You're right, Dan. You made a good point of saying, "Picture that compared to a mid 2000s yeah. Bills team. How miserable would we have been if the Bills, this Bills team, was cl- scratching and clawing for an eight and eight finish? This show wouldn't have gone on." That's what I was gonna say too. The content it provided for us. <laughs> think about, think about all the old Bills that are now so proud to be an old Bill and are coming on podcasts and, and tweeting about all the time how excited, great this Bill season excited, is. Excited, excited, excited. I'm glad I started with those negative thoughts because if they can build on, I'm telling you, there's there's something special that is potentially brewing. And I, I hope this isn't the, the end of it. I hope it's the start of, of a long, successful run. And even if it's like, let's say we're, we do the Colts dynasty there and you're in it every single year and you win – I think Peyton Manning won one with the Colts, right? Dan Moss wouldn't like that. I, but I'm telling I'll you. I'll take one. I'll take that. <laughs> well, I don't know. Get I'll, one and get out, dude. Uh, am I taking one? Am I getting out? Get That's one a whole other argument. Out. Hey, we can, we, can, we can table that. We can table that. All right. Dan, don't fold the table. We can table that for April. All right. Well, that'll wrap up our Bills talk. Hopefully, we can pick this up right around draft time. But let's send it over to our, our final segment here, Bill. The closure. All right, Bill, we mentioned a little bit about the Green Bay 
lost to Tampa Bay. It was a fun game to watch. Did, were you able to? I know we were golfing through some of it. Were you able to watch it when you got home? I did. I did. And, you know, I think it sets up for a really exciting Super Bowl. Who do you got? Uh, let's, well, let's, I'm sorry. Quickly, I want to ask you a question. I know this has been a, a fact thrown around a lot. You have Tom Brady has as many NFC championship wins as both Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. So I don't, we could talk about Brees another time. What is if 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 Aaron Rodgers, let's say, plays five more, nah, four more years, reaches two more NFC championship games, let's say gets to one Super Bowl and loses, okay? What is his legacy going to be? Is he going to be looked at as one of the greatest of all yes, time? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Okay. And I do, you know, compute quarterback wins as to being a, you know, barometer or whatever you call it of their success. But Rodgers, to me, I think it's a travesty. He hasn't won more than one Super Bowl. I think there's a lot of data to back that up. And so they didn't have it. They didn't have the team. They didn't have the surrounding cast. You look at Brady, you know, former MVP Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Braid, O.J. Ho Howard. The list goes on. Leonard Fournette, you just go pick him up. I mean, their team, their defense is loaded. Aaron Rodgers, no matter what happens, he could retire after this year. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, in my opinion. All right, so who do you have in the Super Bowl? Brady versus Mahomes. Who do you got? Yeah, I really – it's it's wild. Who you, I mean, I'm how, sorry. How crazy is 2020 that we're thinking about – Man, I'd love to see this legacy of Tom Brady carry on. So who are you rooting for? That's what I was going to ask. I'm rooting for Tampa Bay. I want Tom Brady to win. I, You know, I'm starting to dislike the Chiefs. I really have a burning dislike for Tyreek Hill. So do I. Um, and I don't want them to win another Super Bowl, to be honest. I think that's the foe right now. And What's your prediction? From Brady, uh, unfortunately, I think Mahomes is just flat out too good. I watched that regular season game they had um, – earlier in the year so just kind of going off the cuff here I'll go with the same score I gave the Bills Chiefs but in the favor of the Chiefs this time 34-23 I'll go 34-27 Kansas City but I want Tampa Bay yeah I think Kansas City's too good too I have them winning 38-34 in a back and forth slugfest and I think Brady brings them down to the red zone in the final possession with a chance to win throws a pick that officially passes off the torch if there was any doubt that it's Patrick Mahomes' league now. I don't think Brady gets back to another Super Bowl. I think this was his kind of like that Brett Favre won hurrah. I don't think he'll crumble as fast as that. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. But Ooh. I think this was their year. Um, but, yeah, do you know who would who is, like, renowned as the second best quarterback of all time by most people? Some people might argue he's the best. Namath? No. The other Montana. One. There you go. Joe Montana. Guess how many playoff wins? Now, I know it's not a, a lot of people think don't think quarterbacks, you know, wins aren't a quarterback step, but guess how many playoff wins Joe Montana has in his career? Seven. 16. Guess yep. how many Tom Brady has? 45. 32. <laughs> he has double <laughs> the amount of quarterback wins. That's wild. Okay, so we both think Kansas City is going to win, so <laughs> put your money on Tampa Bay. Yep. And um, our final thoughts here, Bill, do you want to start or do you want me to start? I just quickly, you know, we started the show when we were 19 years old. Now we're 29, engaged, and there's a lot more uncertainty the last time, you know, we left the studio. I'll never forget walking out of that studio after our finale in Cortland. Um, you know, it's very rare you see tears in Dan Hannon's eyes, but his closing time was playing throughout the studio. There were tears in Dan Hannon's eyes. 
And there the stars. Wasn't. <laughs> yes, there was. Okay. <laughs> and, there, and, the, <laughs> and we walked. There was a silent walk from that studio to our car. Okay. To go back to our house to probably party. And, uh, yeah, the glory days. The glory days. And um, the stars had to have aligned in a beautiful, magical way for this to ever have happened again. And COVID's been a terrible virus, but at least, you know, if you can look at it, the bright side has provided us an opportunity to get together and do this again. And fortunately, over an unbel- unrem- a remarkable Bills season, and there's so many people to thank. So if you want to start thanking people, I can pick you off your back or whatever. Well, Bill, like the first thing I'd like to thank is you. I mean, like I said, the the best part about this is that we get to see each other a couple times a week. Just you know, shoot it, talk sports. Just like the reason we started the show. Um, I would like to actually, not that she'll listen to this, but I'd like to start thank yous by thanking my wonderful fiance Cassie, who puts up with us screaming in the other room. Actually, we've been all over the place. We've been we're, in the basement. We've been on the first floor and the second floor. So all yes, over the place, you, and the dogs are going nuts, and she's trying to work from home, so she puts up with this. This will be a nice break for her. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that it comes down to all our, you know, we, we get, all, what, a little over 125, you know, that's just that, that one section of listeners a week because it doesn't measure other things, but you get your certain contingents of guys that are always listening, and I, I can't tell you how much we really do appreciate that and appreciate you guys shooting text. I mean, you guys got like Ace that you know, talks about it's the highlight of his week, which I think might say a little more about your life, Ace, <laughs> than how much the how much entertainment we bring. But, I mean, like our good friends, Corey and his dad and Dan Moskin, um, you know, Chad listens all the time, Stasiac. Jay Moj listens, Stasiak is also a guy that has been begging us to not – to not uh, give it up, but no, it really. Um, and then you got guys that I didn't even know listen all the time, like um, Eddie Z. He always had Eddie that Z. shirt on. He he would comment. Um, so I know I'm not, I'm missing a lot of people, but uh, can you think? Of, I, yeah, I can think of a few more. Ryan yeah. Meisner put a lot of graphic yep. design stuff. Taylor Winky helped Ryan us out the website. Did a did a really neat website. Ryan Brenner. Yep. Um, Hurley. Hurley. Yeah. We also you know had you know we we've kind of held those sponsors through and through, but the two big ones were. Ari McNamara helped us buy our shirts that we were able to distribute. Um, and also Arista Networks gave us, slid us, you know, a little $100 bill here and there. So that was pretty neat. So yep. able to, you know, make a couple hundred bucks and do something that we really love and um, really do appreciate the guests. But like I said, stars had to align, right? We were, you know, raised in situations where certainly had father figures that made us fall in love with sports and went, you know, out of their way to make us fall in love with sports and had a fall in love at not well yeah i guess we fell in love at Cortland together and <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> bromance baby had to go to you know had a, a lot of things had to align right we had to randomly be in the same year had to go to Cortland, had to be doing phys ed had to do this show had to come back to the same neighborhood had to continue to be friends um and had to continue and there was just so many great memories from this show for the last 40 41 weeks uh, that have really made it a highlight you know, of, of this year. And, and like Dan said, you got to thank Cass for letting us, you know, in the, in the home, just, and just scream all over all three floors. I left Emily for, you know, hours at, at a time, you know, a few days of the week, especially in the summertime. I was coming over here. We'd schedule like an interview a day. I'd come over for an hour, then hang out for another hour. I was practically, this is my second home. So definitely appreciate you, Emily, and love you. And certainly very, uh, certainly very fortunate and blessed to have been able to do this. And hopefully this is just a see you later. Hopefully we come back around draft time and no dis- promises and discuss what uh, what move the Bills are going to make and how they're great free agency. But until then, we're signing off. 
Uh, again, we really appreciate it and love you, man. Closing time will hit a little bit different this time around. A little diffy. Love you, man. I know.